0: The past couple of weeks, we've been in chapter 7 of Matthew. And chapter 7 starts this, this transition uh, where Jesus is giving specific commands to his people. Judge not. We talked about what judging looks like, not in terms of what the world thinks, but in terms of spiritual people being able to discern spiritual things. And when we examine ourselves first, we're not judging in a condemning manner, but we're able to make righteous judgments out of fear for the Lord and out of concern for our brother. And so Jesus wants us to have this right perspective before God. And first, we must examine ourselves before we can speak into the lives of others. We talk about sin being a quicksand. And if we're in that quicksand, we can't pull others out until we ourselves have repented of our sins. Uh, And last week, we looked at asking, seeking and knocking a heart that. Wants to seek after the things of God, that asks persistently, that seeks persistently, that knocks for the door to be opened and our posture of needing everything before our loving Father who will give us everything. Because when we ask, when we seek, and when we knock, our loving Father who loves us will give in abundance better things than we can ask for ourselves. So this week we get to the passage that is most frequently called the Golden Rule, um, and everyone is familiar with it in some form or fashion, and uh, people love to quote it, and people love to apply it to many different religions, but this is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus distilled down. He tells us this is all of the law and the prophets, but when people try to attribute this somewhere else, or I just live by the Golden Rule without putting it in perspective of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it's not possible without everything we just read. But Jesus knew how thick-headed we can be. He knew how many times we need to be reminded over and over and over again. Jesus could have just stood before the great crowd when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, said, love me and love others, and walked away. But he didn't, because he knows us. He knows we need to hear it many different ways. And he, he knows it need to be applied to so many different situations before we could ever hope for it to sink in. We are kind of like... Rough surfaces. If you've ever painted a house, you know that uh, slick walls, if you run a roller over it the first time, it's going to cover pretty well. But rough surfaces, you got to paint to the right. you got to paint from right to left. you got to paint up and down. Sometimes that real hard grain, you've, you've got to work the paint into it and work in many different directions. So kind of what Jesus is doing here, he's telling us the same things in many different ways. Because sometimes one analogy will fall on deaf ears. But after several, it begins to sink in. And so Jesus knows how rough we can be sometimes, and he's working it in several different directions. But this morning, he's going to sum up all of the sermon into one line. We're going to look at that, and then he's going to go on and give us some application. So let's read our uh, passage this morning, and then we'll, we'll pray and get into it. So our passage begins in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a loving God. That you loved us so much that it was possible for us to love others. Lord, that we would show just a glimpse of the grace and forgiveness that you've shown us to others. That we would take your words to heart and recognize that uh, your way is not the popular way. The wide way that the rest of the world walks down is not for us. It is the narrow way that you walked for us in obedience in righteousness before the Lord, because it leads to glory. And it is filled with joy if our comfort comes from the Lord. It is filled with peace if we find a rest in him. It is filled with love because we are abiding in the love of our Father. Lord, I just pray that this message this morning would be encouraging, would be challenging, and that your Spirit will work through me in my words that this congregation would grow into your image and be a light in the midst of a dark world. We love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. He begins verse 12 with so, or therefore, essentially, let's summarize this up. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. I've said all this to you now, therefore, therefore. Simply, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Where else have we heard that? Where else have we heard, for this is the law and the prophets? When they asked him what was the greatest commandment, how did Jesus respond? Love the Lord your God. Love your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these rest all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus is drawing that connection right away. This is based in the greatest commandment if we love the Lord with all our heart our soul our mind and our strength we would love our neighbor as ourselves and we would naturally do as we to them as we wish that they would do to us and again this must come out of the context of the Sermon on the Mount because he starts with those who are poor in spirit we can't come before the Lord and love him out of arrogance or out of pride We must be broken in spirit before God. When we are broken in spirit and love him, then it is easy to see others as being worthy of being loved. Let's be honest here. People, Christians especially, are really good at saying the right things and telling others what they should do. But many times our actions don't back that up. Jesus is saying, if you are my disciples, you will do to others as you ask them. Jesus is telling us, put your money where your mouth is. Don't just say it, but do it. Let your life be an example of what I have written on your heart. When he tells us, do unto others, he also told his disciples that if you love me, you would keep my commandments. If you love me, you will love one another. Jesus told them that his brothers and sisters are the ones who keep his commandments, love one another, and thus fulfill all the law and the prophets. Now, this should be simple, right? Should be obvious for us. But this, it's not. How often are we guilty of judging others by the same standards that we couldn't live up to? You know, do you hate it when people don't return your calls and texts and you You know, you 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 call them names when they don't answer or respond the way you think they should. How many times are we guilty of the same things? Does it bother you when people take their bad day out on you? It's like, why was I just got here? Why why are you talking to me like that? How many times have we done that to others? We've taken someone else's done and projected it on someone else. But what Jesus is getting at here is we're not responsible for the acts of others. Does not matter how others treat us. There is never an explanation here. Well, if they treat you this way, this is how you respond. If they treat you this way, this is how you respond. Jesus says, no, there is one expectation for my people it is to walk in my image. It is to be my witness. It is to be my loving representatives, regardless of what the world does to you, regardless of how others treat you, because this is the true spirit of the law and the prophets. Because you can keep all the outward expressions of the law. And if you have different expectations for others than you do yourself, you've missed the point. Do we do that? How often do we do that? We set one standard for ourselves and the standard we set for everyone else is just a little higher than what we expect out of ourselves. Things we are guilty of all the time, we don't let others off the hook with. We let ourselves get away with things we would never let anyone else get away with. Jesus is saying, don't be hypocrites. Don't be one way before others and, one, and apply a different set of standards for yourself. Because remember, this is Jesus' biggest problem with the Pharisees. They knew the law. They knew the prophets. They carried out all the outward actions, but they missed the spirit. They made the law of God a burden that people had to bear. They made the law of God about impersonal negative laws that it is only a list of don'ts. Let's be honest. It's what many Christians think. It's what many Christians tell the world around us, right? That's the impression we give, you know, that Christianity is the no fun league, right? No celebrations, no enjoying the life that God has given you. It's the list of do's and don'ts. Check off all these, all, all these boxes. And we place burdens on people before they come to Christ. I can't be like those Christians because they've they've got it all together. There's no fun. There's no joy in that. I want to tell you as your pastor, forgive me if I ever forget to talk about that joy. Forgive me if I only talk about the requirements of the law and I don't talk about the, the, the blessings that we experience by being in the will of our Father. Because there's a big difference between impersonal negative laws that is just a list of do's and don'ts and personal instructions from a personal God. Because impersonal gods do not care about you. Impersonal gods do not meet you. Impersonal gods do not come down to earth and walk among you to walk many miles in your shoes. But a personal God does. A personal God who loves us individually who cares for us in a way that we could never care for one another. Because we're not the no fun league. And you NFL fans understand that that, that term. But following Christ is anything but that. I mean, we celebrate the joys that we have. It's not a burden to follow the law that our father has given us. It's a joy because we see it as for our good and for his glory. He wants to keep us from sin. He wants to keep us in his will. He wants to keep us in communion with him. And that begins with how we view the rest of his creation. He's created us in his image. He's created the person you sit across from in his image. He knew them from the before the foundation of the world. You didn't. It's one of the greatest witnesses Christians have. It's how we see and treat people. Because the world sees you as some product of chaos. Random cells smashing together, coming from nothing, going to nothing. Of course they won't care about you. But we see men and women as woven and knitten together by the most creative, fashioning force ever. The God of the universe has made everything beautiful and he has made us in his image to reflect that. So that is the basis for how we see others as ourselves and we wish to do to others as we want them to do to us. The world loves to quote the golden rule, but really behind the scenes it's, I'm going to do this for you, but you better say thank you. You better respond the way I want you to, and if you don't, I won't do it again. How many times have we been guilty of that? I mean, almost every day it is hard to love people. can I mean, be honest, people are hard to love. People are, are hard to treat the way we want our, ourselves to be treated. Because Many times people are not loving and they're not kind. But our value and our response is not based on what other people do to us. It's what the God of the universe has shown us. But why are these commands in the Sermon on the Mount so hard to understand, so hard to follow? Why is it so hard to treat other people the way that we want to be treated? One word, sin. The sin that Christ conquered on the cross holds our salvation for eternity. But until he comes again, the sin in this world, its influence is still everywhere. And we must understand our own weakness and our own fallenness and only from a position of humility, recognizing our need for forgiveness and our father's patience toward us. can Can we be forgiving and patient toward others? Because without the cross, without the recognition that our sins were forgiven, we can't forgive others. And if our righteousness is not in Christ, we can have no hope to have rightness toward others Because our value is still based on how they respond to us. If we are rooted in the righteousness of Christ, we will be unshaken. Regardless of how people respond to us, their responses don't change our reactions, don't change who we are before God. Because in Christ, we we deserved wrath, but received grace. So that we can show grace and refrain from wrath. When we realize that God so loved us, that he sent his son to die for us and our sins. It's not that big a chore to love someone else and to treat them as we want to be treated. Because we're not easy to love. And so often we don't respond the way we need to. So Jesus is saying everything that the Sermon on the Mount has to say is summed up in this. If you want to keep the law and the prophets, because you love me, because you are mine, Treat others the way you want to be treated. Simple enough, hard to carry out. Then there becomes a transition in the text. Because that sums up the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I wish I could take credit for this, but this is Martin Lloyd-Jones, and it's just too good not to explain. Uh, but essentially, the, the sermon proper ends here. All of, the, all of the law and the prophets are summed up in this. Then he goes on to say, enter by the narrow gate. Now Jesus is beginning to give us application uh, and, and warnings that we apply to this Sermon on the Mount. And this is a great sermon. And like every preacher, uh, Jesus has the same desire. Not just, just that you nod your head and say, good sermon, pastor, and go out to, in, into your life and nothing ever changes. But he wants this message to take heart. And he wants you to apply it to your life. He wants you to carry it with you. So he's saying, now that you've heard my sermon, what will you do with it? What does that mean for the rest of your life? I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. It's not praise that he desires, talking about Jesus, but practice. The Sermon on the Mount is not to be commended, but carried out. The Sermon on the Mount is not just to be commended for a good sermon, but to be carried out. It is for our instructions. And i let you in behind the scenes. This is the desire of every pastor. Because if you stand before God's people and just want them to think how great your communication skills are, you've missed the point. Don't commend me. Commend the message that I commend. We want you to take this home. We want it to take root. and We want it to transform your lives because it's transformed ours. And this will help you. Uh, I just kind of a little family business conversation here. This will help you and this will, will help us. Uh, when Justin and I preach, when any pastor preaches, it is great to hear good sermon. That was really helpful. But you know what would be even more helpful? Tell us how it was helpful. Tell us how you will apply it to your lives because that helps us minister to you. That helps us know the needs of our congregation. Those are the things we celebrate. Not just that I could string words together in a certain way that that, that tickled your ears. We don't want to be those kind of people. We want to be stirring each other on to righteousness. So the sermon is helpful. Tell us how. I like when you said this or this I will be able to apply to my, uh, apply to my life. Explain this a little bit for me. That's what we're, this isn't just a one-way conversation. We want this to be a beginning to a conversation so that we can walk alongside you. Because as we're learning and as we're studying, we want you to grow and learn and study along with us. It's just kind of a side note. I think Jesus is doing that a little bit here. Let me sum up all, all of my message. And then I'm going to give you some kind of caveats, some, some, some warnings uh, to go along with the message so you can understand it. Because look at how he finishes uh, chapter 7. So all these things that he's talking about for believers. The next section which Justin's going to preach on next week is beware of false prophets. All right, I'm telling you all this, but some are going to come and they're not going to be preaching the same gospel that I am. Then after that, he talks about some will do all these things in my name and I will say I never knew you. There's some measuring sticks for God's people. And not everyone who, who claims things in his name is doing things in his name. And then he talks about those who build their house on a rock, being rooted on these teachings, being rooted in me, being rooted in truth. And you will be unshaken. So Jesus is saying, after I've told you and I've told you again and I told you again. I'm telling you one more time, be rooted in me. Don't be rooted in, in the things of this world. So we'll get into those in the next couple of weeks. So what Jesus gets into here in verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, many. What Jesus is saying, first of all, I know everything I just told you is hard and most people won't do it. Most people won't want it. It's difficult. Most people want the easy route, and they're going to miss the point. But not so for you. If you are mine, hear my words. Heed my words. If you want to find eternal life, true life, true riches, follow me, not the masses. Because as you see in verse thirteen and verse fourteen, the, the narrow gate and the narrow way are linked, and the wide gate and the wide way are linked. You don't take the easy way and then try to follow Christ somewhere down the road. You don't follow Christ and then you try to, then you, you change your, your, uh, your philosophy halfway through and now I'm gonna take the easy way and do what everyone else is doing. The narrow gate is to the narrow way and the wide gate which everyone else walks through. It leads to destruction. Like Rod mentioned earlier when we read out of, out of Psalm 1 that blessed is the man who does not walk. Or sit in the in, in the presence of the unrighteous and, and, and the scoffers. He meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. The Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked and the and the way of the righteous. I'm not gonna give this away because I think Justin's gonna preach on this in a few weeks, but I'm gonna give it away. That's Christ. Christ did that first. We weren't the righteous ones. Rod was absolutely correct that it is the, the source, it is the living water that you're drinking from that allows you to walk in righteousness. And only because Christ walked in righteousness perfectly, because he meditated on God's law perfectly day and night, do we know the difference between righteousness and wickedness. That is to be our example, not the rest of the world. And Psalm 1 sets the tone for the rest of the Psalms. This is the way of the righteous righteous. This is the way of the wicked. And one of the earliest Christian teachings is called the Didache. It's fascinating. If you want to look it up, it's D-I-D-A-C-H-E. Just means the, the, the teaching or the longer title is the teachings of the apostles. It was actually written, we think, as early as uh, 50 A.D. So within, within 20 years of, of Jesus' death, this was, was written. And where does the Didache begin? This was passed around churches, and it was basically a summary of all Jesus' teaching. The first couple sections are a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. They begin with the two ways. They give a list of, this is the ways of the righteous, and it's basically summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way of the wickedness, and it's summarizing the world around them, which pretty much summarizes the world around us. So from the very beginning, in the earliest stages of the church, they've come together and they've looked at, the two ways, the narrow way that the follower of Christ walks in and the wide way that the rest of the world walks in. That narrow gate is the entrance. It's the beginning following Christ. Most people don't choose that. We have to understand that. Most people are going to reject this message. Jesus is telling us that many are going to take the easy way. Those who enter it are many, and it does lead to destruction. But the narrow gate it's a command. Enter. Jesus is telling you, walk with me. Follow me. Enter. It's the road less traveled, literally. Many times we do Christians a disservice by telling them that the final gate is the gate. Because we tell them, all right, now that you're in Christ, you, you've, you've made it. Just sit back and relax and everything's easy. Anyone who's been in Christ for more than five minutes knows that that's not the case. It is a narrow way for a reason. There is a lot of other options out there. But the narrow way is for those who are rooted in Christ, whose foundation is on the rock. And entering into that narrow way requires us to leave behind everything that we seek comfort and peace and security in besides our Father in heaven. Dying to self, being crucified with Christ and seeking his kingdom, that is the narrow way. It's kind of like going into battle. And if you've ever served in the military, you know that you go out on the battlefield, you don't get to take all the comforts of home with you. You take only with you what is required for that journey. You don't take... Your favorite blanket and your 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 favorite book because everything you need. You have to carry with you. Maybe some of you would take your your favorite book if you can get it small enough. Um, but there's a reason why Paul uses that battle analogy so much that we are coming into battle. Spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, don't be held down by all the things of this world that are not going to help you in this, because when you're on the battlefield, Can't carry things that are going to weigh you down. Because the narrow way, after you enter the narrow gate, is a journey. And it's not easy. Now, when God's people uh, rebelled against him and they did not want to follow his lead, he gave instructions to Joshua. And it still applies with us today. So turn to Joshua chapter 1 for me. Many of you may know this, this passage but it fits in perfectly with what we're, we're talking about. Joshua chapter one, I'm going to read seven through nine. Joshua, Joshua chapter one, verse seven. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is a perfect depiction of this narrow way. Don't go to the right or to the left. Don't start listening to these other things once you start on this path. I will be with you. No need to fear. Be strong. Be courageous because I am your strength. I am your guide. I am your protector. Because in many ways, our lives parallel the journey of the Israelites. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. We were in slavery to sin. The Israelites, covered by the blood of a spotless lamb, were passed over from death. We, covered by the blood of a spotless lamb, were passed over from death. That spotless lamb who saved our lives also brought us out of captivity. The Israelites were brought out of captivity in Egypt, but they were brought on a journey. They weren't brought right into the promised land. They wandered for a while. Why? Why? They needed to trust in the Lord along the process. We being brought out of captivity, being brought out of sin, being redeemed by the lamb. Are we brought right to the promised land? No, we wander for a while. We're in the desert. We need to trust God for our manna. We need to trust God for the dew on the ground. We need to follow him like a pillar of fire during the night and a cloud by day. Our lives parallel the exodus God's people from Egypt, our exodus from sin will also lead to a a land filling, flowing with milk and honey, will also lead to a promised land. But there is a time of discipline and a time of learning and a time of growing that happens in the wilderness. Much of the Christian life is, is much like that journey through the wilderness. But our goal is not the wilderness. We're not to get hung up on... The manna is to look forward to the land of milk and honey, the blessings, the glory that comes. But our promised land is so much greater than that that the Israelites look forward to. It is a never-ending kingdom with Christ reigning forever and ever with no war, no tears, no sickness. But in this time in the wilderness, we can be like Joshua and trust the commands of the Lord, or we can be like the Israelites and turn back to our old ways. Because the narrow way is to follow God faithfully. Walking not on what we can see, not on this, this time in the wilderness when it seems like we have no answers. But God provides daily. Just like he provided to his people then, he provides to his people now. We're going to look at that a little bit. Because um, the wide way... This is the mob mentality. I mean, it's a perfect picture of the world. So Jesus is saying here, you're going to follow me. I know it's narrow. I know it's hard, but it leads to life. Or You're going to follow the way that leads to destruction. Because Satan is a bit like a pied piper. We know the story of a pied piper. I mean, if you don't, uh, kind of 12th century Germany, they had, a, they had a rat problem. This guy comes in and he says that I can play this this tune that the rats love to hear. And I will march them right over a cliff and they will all die. Just meet my price. I won't give away the rest of the story, but he's able to do it. Satan is a bit like that, right? He plays the tune that the world loves to hear and the masses fall behind him. So we're going to fall, follow behind the Pied Piper and march over a cliff to our death. Are we going to follow the instructions of our Lord. Although we may not be running with the masses, trust me, the masses are taking you over a cliff. And sadly, you know, the narrow, the narrow way is never the popular way. That's why it's called narrow. Our world wants the easy way. Our world wants the wide way. They want maximum effort for minimal, um, excuse me, uh, maximum return for minimal effort. They love getting rich quick schemes over a hard day's work over a lifetime. They love letting kids be raised by, by by TV instead of spending intentional time talking to them and speaking to them and and praying with them. I mean, the reason why we're doing Wednesday night the way we are is because we know that that is a narrow way. Uh, we know there's not the easy thing to do. The easy thing to do is to spend a lot of money on a, on a big budget and, and just cast this, this wide net and not care for the people that God has entrusted to us. We care about people, and this is doesn't give big dividends now. Well, how many people are in your church or anything like that? But we want to invest in you for eternity. We care about what God is doing in his kingdom. We want to do things to be faithful in that. And the world wants bigger. They want faster. They want brighter. They want better. How long does that last? Shiny things wear out quickly. Things that are rooted in him never give up their luster. Jesus talks about this in Luke 14, if you'll turn with me, talks about the cost of discipleship. And the irony here or the, the, the wisdom is that Jesus is saying this in front of a big crowd. So Luke 14, turn to uh, verse 25 with me. This is I, I want to just preface this. Many people like to skip over this in scripture when they read it. This is a hard text to hear. Just know that I know that. But this is something that you need to hear. Jesus is telling us how narrow this way is. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them. Jesus is saying to the masses, I'm not giving you something easy. I'm giving you a narrow way. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Ouch. Yes, you read that right. And yes, those are the words of Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Jesus saying, I need you to die to everything you think will fulfill you other than me. When he tells us to pick up our cross, which he will in a second, we're going to keep reading. That means Jesus died to everything that gave him comfort here on earth. And his only means of support was the father. That is a very, very narrow way. Now, does it look like hate to our mother and our father and sister and our brother? No, we don't physically hate them. But compared to our love for, for Christ, our love for everyone else is so small that it looks like, hey, it looks like if I have to give up everything to be with Christ, I will. There is a question posed. Uh, I can't remember what theologian posed it, but it just kind of came to me that it was it was asked that if you got to be in heaven with Jesus forever, but yet no one you ever knew was there, would you still go to heaven? love jesus so much it doesn't matter who else is there you just want to be in his presence that's hard that is really hard and jesus goes on verse 27 whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple you must die to sin like i died to your sin you must die to the world like i died to the world for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. He's telling you, consider these things. I'm telling you something that's that's difficult. I'm not giving painting this rosy picture of how this life is going to be. I want you to consider this. Verse 29. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, here he sums up again, any one of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. That is a hard pill to swallow. Renounce all that I have. Because here's here's the thing. If we deny the entire world for the sake of Christ, we will gain both. Because we will gain our Lord and Savior, and he will give us more than ever we could ask or imagine. But if we choose the world over our Savior, we will lose both. That is the narrow way. Once you enter through the narrow gate and begin on the narrow way, most people won't understand or support it. Most people think you're crazy. So let's, let's be honest. The world thinks we're crazy. And every other voice is trying to tell you, take the easy road. We've got candy over here. Take the easy road. You've got cruise control. We've got speed passes. Take the easy way. I think no better depiction of this exists than the book Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I know Jenna been reading this, but, uh, but if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you should. Probably one of the best books ever written. And it so greatly depicts the Christian process, the Christian journey. So much so, its main character, his name is Christian. Because Christian leaves from a pilgrim or excuse me as a pilgrim from the city of destruction and he meets all kinds of amazing people and john bunyan sometimes he's creative in their names, sometimes he's not he just plain, he just plainly tells who they are the first person christian meets is mr worldly wise man kind of about sums it up right he wants him to settle in the easy life in the village of morality we know what the village of morality is, right? Just sit here, kumbaya, do all these good things. Just nothing hard happens here. Just do whatever makes you, you happy. Everyone, everyone smiles. And he's, he thinks, oh, this is great. So he meets someone called the evangelist. The evangelist tells him, no, flee, run from here. This is another gospel. The evangelist leads him to the narrow gate. Where over the top of the gate it is written, knock and it will be open to you. Sound familiar? The narrow gate leads to the holy way, and the holy way is the path to Mount Zion. At this point, Christian is still carrying around these bags filled with all of his burdens. And this is a long trip, and I'm carrying a lot with me. So as he begins to go, uh, he meets the interpreter. I don't want to give away too much of the book, but this is the Holy Spirit. The interpreter tells him all excellent things, tell you everything that you are to see and witness along this trip and also what to watch out for. The interpreter, the Holy Spirit, is preparing him for his journey. But before he begins his journey, he makes this important stop at the cross. And at the cross, he's finally able to get rid of these bags and these burdens who have been weighing him down and he sets them down at the foot of the cross. Now his load is lighter, and he's able to begin out on the holy way. It's only once his sins have been forgiven can he begin on this narrow way. With the sins forgiven, he is then given a a, a role uh, by, by angels to help him along the way, and it's scripture. So God doesn't send us out on this narrow way by ourselves. Holy Spirit is our guide and our teacher, and Scripture is with us to be our companion and our map and our instructor as we go. Uh, I'm not gonna, there's so many people he encounters, and I just want you to read the book, so I'm not gonna tell you that. But one of my, my favorite illustrations helps with this. When we think about a, a narrow way, he goes up difficulty hill, and before he gets to Palace Beautiful, uh, there are two lions guarding the palace. Many people, when they see the lions, they, they run the other way. How am I going to get into this palace? These lions are here. But a still small voice tells them, go on. They can't hurt you. And when he gets a little closer, he realizes that these lions are on two chains. And the chains stop right on either side of him. And he walks safely in between. That is so perfectly illustrating this narrow way. Because as we walk, Satan, the roaring lion, has a leash that will not touch us. But if we step to the left or to the right, like he told Joshua, he is waiting to devour us. Such a great picture of the Christian walk. And Christian did not walk on his own. Christian had hopeful. Hopeful was a fellow traveler on this way. Thankfully, you do not walk it alone either. You have your brothers and sisters in Christ who are on this same journey with you. They walk alongside you. In Psalm 1, which we read earlier, it was our brother who's already walking this narrow way in Christ. And he walked it perfectly. He reached Mount Zion for us. And he's guiding us as we go through his spirit and through his word. And this is why our church family is so important. This is why being rooted in God's word is so important. Because through this journey, just like Christian, we will meet all kinds of people wanting to deceive us, wanting to bring us off in easy ways and take us off of this narrow path. But if we follow our interpreter, study our role, and walk with our hopeful brothers and sisters, we will one day reach the celestial city in Mount Zion just like Christian did. So, as we close up this morning, we kind of looked at two different topics, but they do draw together. So, if we trust in the Lord and love Him, can we treat people how we want to be treated? without fearing their response, their repercussions, or the losing of our own comfort. Does our love for the Lord so lead you to love others? It is loved in the way that you want to be loved. Because that will help us on our journey. If the journey of Christian and the Israelites show us anything, that it is not always glitz and glamour. But it does, it does lead to glory. And our eyes are on our destination, not the journey. And in that journey, if we stay rooted in God's word, if we listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if we surround us with brothers and sisters who love us along the way, we will reach our destination and we will see the joy in the journey. But probably most importantly, are we trying to live this life in the wide way after entering through the narrow gate? Thought about that. Because many times we say, okay, said the prayer, done the deal. Now I just do whatever I want. Are we trying to walk on our journey in the wide way after entering through the narrow gate? This is what happens along Christians' journeys. What happens to a lot of us as well. We, we repent and we come to Christ for our salvation but yet we take little detours. We do the comfortable things along the way. Do we start out in Christ and then listen to the ways of the world? If you don't know Christ, you're walking through the wide gate, wandering down the wide way, doing, listening to every voice that pulls you off into every corner. How's that working out for you? Enter through the narrow gate. Follow along the narrow way. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And life eternal is found in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've made a way for us. That like Christian, we flee the city of destruction hoping to find our rest in you. And along the way, you are teaching us and shaping us and molding us and building us into your image. You don't always do it the way we want you to. We want it to be easy. In a sense, it is. Lord, we just pray that we can walk obediently according to your will, that we can trust in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we can be rooted in Scripture and that we can bring our brothers and sisters along with us, arm in arm, as your body, as your church, journeying as your people. Because you have promised life to those who are in you. Lord, that we would look to nowhere else for our salvation, nowhere else to our comfort, nowhere else to our for our security. That we would forsake everything in this world for the sake of you and your kingdom. And only then will we gain so much more for eternity. Lord, my prayer this morning is that as a body, we will be firmly rooted in the narrow way. And that those who don't know you would see the joy and the hope and the determination that is in us. That they will join along with us. Lord, as you continue to draw people to yourself, we pray that you would equip us to minister to those around us, to be examples, to be light, to be salt. Because we are in you. There's no power, no authority, no one on heaven and earth that can change that. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Just lift this up in Jesus' name, amen.